Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Welcome, everyone, to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm Dorothy Koshu, your host, and today I have with me Jacqueline Thorpe, CEO of Train Me Today, a human resources consultant and trainer. Welcome, Jackie, and thanks for joining me again today. I'm so happy that we have you back. Thank you, Dorothy. I'm so happy to be back. Yeah, it's been kind of a crazy, crazy, crazy year, so it's good to have you here. I'm glad that we're able to do this. Just to let everybody know, we're recording remotely today via an online meeting with headsets, so if you could please forgive any internet interruptions that we uh, might have during this recording, we would greatly appreciate it. So Jackie, before we begin, can you tell me a little bit about what's been going on with you and your organization since we last recorded a podcast? It seems like the world fell apart with COVID slightly after our last interview, and I'm sure you had to make a lot of adjustments to move into a remote world since the spring of 2020, like the rest of us. Can you walk us through what happened? Did you have to close your office for a time, or were you able to stay open? And if so, what type of modifications did you have to make? Well, you know, that's the loaded question, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Every employer has had to answer that some employers have had to ramp up that's the you know really interesting part about it but let me tell you a little bit about what happened with train me today as you know 70 percent of our business is live training Mm -hmm. so because of that we took a huge dip really quickly Um, and then i tried to keep all my employees on hand which you know, worked as long as we had the PPP, but once the PPP went away and we didn't have any business coming in, we ended up having to, we didn't let them go. I guess you would say they're furloughed. Mm -hmm. So if business picks up, then everybody will come back. But we are actually down to six people right now. And we had 11 last February. Yeah. And we really had projected that we were going to have a stellar year. (laughs) Yeah, I know a lot of us did. You're going through the same thing that everyone's going through, I think. Exactly. So it wasn't too hard for us to pivot because we had already been doing online training. So our train the trainer classes, for example, took off. Our um, HR certification classes online took off. We started doing HR certification classes during the day because our students were at home. They weren't in the office. So some things changed like that. And then we have other HR consulting clients whose businesses just skyrocketed. For example, we have a guy who owns a marijuana farm. And he can't keep enough employees right now. So Yeah, the same thing with, well, any type of trucking organizations, you know, transportation, uh, retail facilities like grocery stores, uh, you know, anything like that. They're booming. The rest of, you know, a lot of industries obviously are suffering greatly, but uh, some of them are just going going nuts and it's kind of hard. We have some clients that, you know, were essential services and uh, they've been working around the clock and had to add Mm -hmm. shifts and and so Mm -hmm. forth. Unfortunately, with that, they did unfortunately have some... uh, cases of COVID and they had to work around that and uh, you know it's just depending on where you're at and what industry you're in it affected everyone a bit differently so well I'm glad you were able we, to work through it. <laughs> we actually had a case of COVID. Did you? Yeah so you know she got it from her husband who you know works in a a, a big company and um, so that was kind of a 
you know, for us, it became a backtracking thing. Oh my gosh, now what do we do right. <laughs> as an employer? We're so accustomed to telling our uh, clients what they're supposed to do. Now, what does a little company like ours have to do? Right. Well, and I, I hope she's okay. I hope she's recovered fully. She's absolutely fine. She's young, you know, in her 30s. And um, both her and her husband, you know, had very mild cases. And they recovered, you know, within that 14 day period. So no, that's that's good. I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, I wish everyone would uh, be so lucky (laughs) with these times. It's just crazy. Uh, Yeah. So I'm curious, did you have a lot of requests for help in getting employers back to business like we've been talking about, like yourself? You know, did you have to help them with their policies and procedures, helping them to set up new protocols for California businesses under the state's COVID orders, et cetera? Were you involved in this at all? Well, I have to tell you, this is unprecedented. Uh, I, I've been in human resources since 1979, and i never seen anything like it. So it involved myself and my staff doing a lot of research to get the answers for our clients. So we, you know, got involved with the CDC, um, the Department of Labor, uh, Cal OSHA, And so we created sort of this library of places that we could go to because, you know, almost every question in HR, I can pull it out of my pocket. I know the answer to that. This was not something that I had ever dealt with before. So we created a library as our, um, you know, clients needed information. We either found it for them, we were able to find it in our library, or you know, or we did a little bit of proactive work. For example, um, when California required that we have a new COVID uh, illness prevention program, you know, we've always had to have an IPP, right? But now we had to have one specific to COVID. So we were proactive on that. We sent it out to all of our clients and made sure that they had it. And boy, what a blessing that one document is for an organization because it tells you exactly what you have to do. Right. Yeah. I bet you were just crazy because I did the same thing for on the benefits side. I created a a COVID-19 guide and got it out to everyone and and, uh, it was everyone's, their Bible. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we we had to update it several times, of course, but yeah. uh, yeah. I, I was in the same shoes that you were in, and I can tell you that it was not easy. I know I spent probably 30 to 40 hours a week just doing research in the first, you know, in the first month. It was, well, actually, the first couple of months, because it just kept, you know, they kept releasing new information, and the DOL kept putting out new FAQs, and everything kept changing on the state level. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy. So I can certainly understand how busy you were, for sure. So what was or is the most difficult thing employers have to contend with to get people back to work, back to production, reopening their doors, that sort of thing? Well, there's a just, you know, there's a myriad of issues going on here. So certain employers, they don't have any money. They flat out have no money. And um, they're not only losing their businesses, they're losing their homes and they, they just have no money. There are so many different employer problems right now. There's nothing, no, no one employer has the same exact issue. So you've got employers who flat out have no revenue coming in. Uh, you have employers who are uh, don't even really understand how to apply for a PPP. Um, and by the way, if people are not familiar with that term, payroll protection program. Okay, and that's a, you know fairly large amount of money that is supposed to be forgivable. Mm-hmm. Now uh, we got one, and so far we have not been forgiven, which is a little bit scary. 
<laughs> for somebody I've never borrowed money ever in my career. Yeah, but it, it takes a while. Um, it, it takes a, it's going to take the government a while because they're still coming out with regulations and changing things all the time. So I wouldn't be too worried about that because um, SBA just hasn't gotten to all of them yet. So I wouldn't worry about that. I think yeah. you probably you're small enough that I'm sure it will be forgiven because they're pretty much putting right, putting right. a rubber seal of approval on them and saying, okay, it's it's done. But you just uh, have to wait in yeah. line, I guess, for that to happen. <laughs> But, you know, the thing is, it helps me to empathize with the other employers who who don't know as much about human resources and, you know, they're restaurant owners or they're, um, you know, uh, small businesses that don't really, you know, maybe they're a small distribution center, something like that, and they don't, um, you know, if if you applied for the PPP, it is horrible. It, it's a, they ask you for stuff they don't even really need to know. Right. <laughs> but anyway, nonetheless, so we've got, you know, just knowledge issues. And then we've got other employers. I have uh, two here, uh, one in Marietta, one in Desert Hot Springs, clients who just can't keep production going because they don't have, employees and these are not uh you know skilled employees that they need they're willing to bring in people and train them but they're either sick or working someplace else or on unemployment insurance you know there's just um a variety of reasons you just you don't know right now it's the weirdest work environment that we've ever been in. Yeah, I think all of us can agree to that. And it's really unfortunate. I mean, it's great that, that they were receiving unemployment benefits, but it's bad because they were receiving so much in unemployment benefits that there was no incentive for them in many cases to go back to work, especially the lower paid well, employees. That's where I get on my clients and I tell them, you have to give them a reason to want to come to work for you. Right. And and if if that reason isn't good enough, then you really don't want them working for you. Which is, I'm sure, you know, so. I'm sure that's difficult for some people to hear too. <laughs> it, it it's a it's an interesting dilemma, you know. I I mean, it seems like we have seen times like this, um, you know, throughout the last forty years, um, but nothing ever to this extreme. It seems like everything is extreme. Yeah. So. Um, I do have a, a happy story. I have a, uh, I'll give him a, a shout out. I have a restaurant in downtown LA called Feast from the East. Serves amazing food. And he's doing just fine. But he pivoted and made his delivery business um, the core business. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's been able to keep all his employees and they're doing pretty good. So. Well, you good know, there for them. Are That's good. I wish yeah. I wish more restaurants had that story to tell because, unfortunately, a lot of yeah. them are really hurting and have had to close. Mm -hmm. Human resources is obviously very important all of the time for employers, but I think never so much as when going through something like this. As we've talked about, this is just crazy. The coronavirus changed all of our working and personal lives, and it isn't over yet, of course. Uh, and employers, as we've talked about already, have had to lay off people, furlough people, etc., and then try to bring them back safely. You know, and it's no easy task. What would you say is the most important thing for CEOs and CFOs? You know, what should they know regarding the role of HR in all of this? Wow. That's a loaded this question. Is, I know. You know, it really is. But I'll tell you, it's, it is one of the times when you got to see the true colors of your HR person. They either dug in and helped the company or they became 
a liability for the organization. And I, I've seen quite a bit of turnover in human resources. Um, the good ones, they're working from home, they're, they're doing their job, they're, you know, they're calling us. They, I mean, I have students in my PHR California class that are so smart about this that they could actually, I usually give them about a half an hour during, you know, one of the cohorts where they can actually present and talk about what it is that they're doing in their organizations. So again, this knowledge base that CEOs should understand when they hire somebody to do that job of human resources, it's not a clerical position. They need to have somebody who has a good, solid knowledge of what human resources is. But it can't just be knowledge. They've also got to have grit. Mm -hmm. They've got to be able to be that person who goes beyond the job description and, you know, figures out what's going on, how to do it, um, and how to get the job done, and have the courage to stand up to the CEO and explain to them, this is what we have to do. Yeah. And not, not that we have to do it because of compliance. We have to do it because it's a good business decision. Yeah, that's sometimes a hard, that's probably the hardest thing I would think that any HR person would have to deal with right now is standing up. I would think that would be very difficult because some of them, it it's really easy. It would, it would just be easier to just say nothing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that does take a special talent, I think, to do that. And and you write perfect, perfect there, grit, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so obviously, you're an HR consultant and a trainer, and I'm sure you've been busy as we've talked about adapting all of your training to the new normal. <laughs> so let's talk about yeah. HR certifications. I know, as you mentioned just a moment ago, that you help people prepare for uh, their HR certification process, HR professionals. Can you walk us through what types of certifications available and how they're different? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I know for sure is when somebody takes our class, it doesn't just prepare them to take the exam. It changes their life. It changes the way they look at their career. It changes the way they think about business. Um, and I'm not going to say it's not the certification that makes them better. It is the knowledge and the concepts of business that make them better at doing their job in human resources. So even if you don't carry those initials behind your name, if you take one of these classes, you're going to walk out of there with a completely different idea about what your job is supposed to do. Unless, of course, you already have like a master's in human resources or something. But that is the big, big difference is we actually change lives. There are, right now, uh, we are teaching the APHR. So this is the Associate Professional in Human Resources, and it is for entry-level people who um, don't have a certification and they don't qualify to actually take any of the higher-level ones. Great class, great introduction to human resources, and it's on an overarching um, best business practice federal level. Then we have the professional in human resources, which is the PHR. Now, you have to have some experience. You need about four years of experience if you don't have any higher education uh, to actually be uh, able to take that exam. I like this exam for most HR people better than the senior professional in human resources because it's really the foundational stuff that human resources practitioners do uh, on, on a daily basis. Then we have the California. 
Now, the PHR California, if you work in California or you have employees in California, you should take this instead of the regular PHR because the regular PHR is federal law. And that could really mess you up if you work in California. Yeah, for sure. It's it completely doesn't different. Talk about, yeah. Right? It doesn't talk about state disability insurance or California Family Rights Act, you know, any of our weird EDD rules. And so um, if you do human resources in California, the PHRCA is the best possible certification. Even if you already are SPHR certified, it's a good idea to take the PHR California. And then, of course, there is the Senior Professional in Human Resources, which is really designed for an executive level human resources practitioner. So they spend a lot more time uh, looking at strategy and finance and marketing than they might at human resources. But in order to pass that test, you have to know all of that stuff. So that it's a good, um, it's a great certification, but it's not really the one that the average human resources practitioner would use. Now we have just ventured into the international wow. professional <laughs> human resources, I know. So we have a big class coming up in Malaysia. Wow. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. That's so interesting. That's, well, you're, yeah. you're the first person that's actually broken those down for me simply to understand those because I see all the designations all the time. And mm -hmm. as you know, and we're actually, our, our company is actually uh, provider for classes, uh, CE courses in that area. But, mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, no one's broken it down that, that well for me. So I want to thank you for that. And I'm sure that a lot of people okay. listening will probably have a little bit better, a lot, probably a lot more understanding of those now. Particularly the people that don't work in human resources, like the CEOs and the CFOs, so that they can understand what it is that their people might yeah. need, what, what type of education and training they might need. So how did you prepare for you know courses now or so in the last 10 months or so now that everything's gone you said before everything you did before was pretty much in person and now everything's moved to virtual for the most part so how did you how did the preparation for courses change in the past 10 months or so well okay so for the um phr california we always have taught that online and the reason why is it's a blended course so there's a classroom that you go to and you will listen to lectures um, pre-recorded lectures that are, you know, about an hour. You don't have to listen the whole hour, but they're about an hour long. And then you have online practice exams and then a bunch of other different kinds of resources. Then one night a week, we get together and everybody submits their questions during the week. You know, what does this mean on page, you know, what, 52? Because they also get a, a, a paper study guide as well as a digital study guide. And um, so they submit their questions and then we have in-class discussions and in-class exercises. And this goes on for 21 weeks. Wow. So um, they learn so much about uh, California. So that really wasn't a big change. It was a big growth for us during 2020, huge growth. So it sort of replaced what we lost in the anti-harassment training. Mm -hmm. um, it replaced that. Now, for the PHR-SPHR, <laughs> we've been kind of funny. We're doing an online class, which we've always had an online class for that, by the way, as well. Because, you know, they, people come from Maine and, right. uh, you know, Florida to take our classes. But we actually did teach some Irvine classes. So anytime there was an opening that we could go to our office and teach a class, we would teach a live class. There were 
we had students that drove from uh, Pasadena just because they wanted a live class. So, uh, you know, we did both. Um, now we're at this very moment, we're a hundred percent online, mm -hmm. but we, we were prepared. We were not, um, we really didn't have to pivot much. We already had our Moodle classrooms going for the PHR, PHR California, APHR, um, and the SPHR. They were already up and going. Well, that's good. You were lucky. <laughs> yeah, Very we fortunate were. There. Well, let's get more into the details on some of the certifications. <laughs> what uh, what types of HR professionals should you know should receive these certifications and why? Anybody who is at all interested in having a career in human resources really should get certified. To me, it's kind of like, do you go to an attorney who hasn't passed the bar? <laughs> you know, why would you do that? True. Why would you hire, uh, you know, unless your job description only calls for a person who will um, be completely clerical. So the owner of the company is going to do all the real HR work and um, they're going to have a clerical person who will maybe coordinate a benefit open enrollment type thing, or um, I don't know, maybe a uh, new hire orientation. I don't know. I don't know how anybody does it. I look back on my own career and I was fortunate because I started at Lockheed. So we had continuous education and I was encouraged to get certified in 1989. So, um, when, you know, if you're lucky enough to work in a large organization that really uh, respects education, then you'll be lucky enough to um, be a really good HR person. So I, all of, you know, all our people are all certified. So Yeah. Well, a lot of companies, though, um hire from within and sometimes they'll just promote a payroll person or another member of their office staff and say okay now you're gonna do HR so I would guess yeah. that these certifications would be great just for them to be able to you know learn this new job that they've been thrown into I would say that at least half of my students are those people yeah a lot of my clients, their HR people are those people. <laughs> that's why that's why I made that statement because that's exactly how they they didn't start off in HR. They started off in payroll or somewhere yeah. else and got moved into it, uh, downsizing of staff, that sort of thing, merging the you know the the positions and so forth. So let's talk about someone working for a small company. You know, they have one person running the office and doing all of the mm -hmm. HR. Should that person go after these certifications? And if so, which which of these? And I think I kind of know the answer based on what you said already, <laughs> but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah, so it depends on what they've really been doing. So um, when I hired Samantha, she had been doing exactly that. You know, Samantha DeLand is one of our consultants. And she knew more about HR than half the HR students that had come into class because she had been doing it as an office manager. So her title was office manager, but her job was human resources. And so when we submitted her application, she went through all the training classes. And um, when we submitted her application to HRCI, they looked at her job description, not her title. Mm -hmm. And so once they saw that the work that she was doing was human resources, then they allowed her to go ahead and take the exam. So anybody who works for a small business who is an office manager um, really should take the PHR California and the reason why I say that is because it really hones in on the liabilities that we have in California if we get it wrong. 
Yeah, I would imagine that's very important. So what about, we talk about this these small companies, uh, you know, one-man show type of thing. So let's talk about a large organization where you have a team of HR professionals. Can you break down what levels of certifications at minimum each person should have, you know, on their HR staff? In the large companies, it's quite quite different because you could have a benefits administration who person who would really be more likely to take get like a SEB um, type credential. They may not need that generalist credential. Um, your employment people would probably be um, more likely to get into some type of a credential that would be a generalist credential because they need to have more overall hiring you know, information. So that would be somebody like, a, um, I would say an employment representative, but anybody who's at a manager level really needs to have a generalist education. And so either PHR, if you're in California, PHR California, if you have clerical people that assist, get them into the APHR. Um, if you're a salesperson and you sell HR related products, take the APHR. Um, it is a little bit, I think, sort of impressive. If you walk into an office and you're, or you, all right, if you get onto a Zoom meeting mm -hmm. <laughs> these days, um, and you have that APHR, that clearly demonstrates that you're actually interested in the world of human resources. Yeah. Well, what about, you know, starting this process? What's the first step if they want to start this? very first step is go to trainmetoday.com of course and you will find there all the descriptions so you'll find a detailed description of each one of these different courses and then you can choose which one is the best for you and it also shows the requirements for taking the exam as well okay well while I have you here you know I'm gonna do this because you know you're good at this <laughs> so I'm gonna take advantage of my time with you here today and I'd like to ask you about some of the new you know I you, you know I'm going to come on <laughs> you know me and well I have enough. the right to say I don't know uh, you do but uh, like I said uh, I want to talk to you about some of the new laws here in California related to HR and you've already been talking about how we're crazy here in California with all of our state specific stuff so let's talk yeah. first about uh, paid family leave uh, effective July 1st 2020 um, they had wage replacements were administered by the EDD and they were extended from six to eight weeks and they had city ordinances like San Francisco etc were expanded you know what qualifies someone to take time off work can you tell us a little bit about what some of these you know some of the particulars of paid family leave and the changes that happened in July well the first thing we have to understand about paid family leave is that it's not a leave Okay, it's a wage replacement program. So when it changed from six weeks to eight weeks, what it was saying is that somebody who is taking a leave of absence, uh, whether it be a California family rights leave or uh, FM, uh, a FEMLA leave, um, but somebody who is taking a leave or whether or not they have to quit their job, by the way, um, in order to take care of a family member, they can now collect wage replacement money for a period of eight weeks. And what about some of the uh, city ordinances? Those were expanded. Can you comment a little bit on that? Well, it's kind of interesting. I don't pay much attention to the city ordinances except for Los Angeles. Okay. And I'll tell you why. When it comes to testing, they are not going to ask you a question about San Francisco. 
They're not going to ask you a question about Los Angeles. They're not going to ask you a question about San Diego. It's all specific, very broad knowledge. So, I mean, several years ago, I pay attention to what happens in San Francisco because a lot of times that is what's going to happen in the state of California at some point. I don't really pay a lot of attention to that. I do stay on top of Los Angeles uh, County and Los Angeles City because we have clients in those uh, towns, but I don't look at San Francisco at all. Okay. And what qualifies someone to take time off work? To care for a family member. Now, COVID changed everything. Right. (laughs) FFCRA and then then the California state law. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. But to qualify for PFL, it's not real hard. It's not real difficult. All you have to do is be uh, needed to care for a family member. And so you may go out on FMLA and um, you need, you, you can't collect unemployment insurance because you're not unemployed, you're on leave. Um, you can't collect disability insurance because you're not dis- disabled, you're taking care of somebody else. So all you have to do is be taking care of a family member. Okay. On the same topic, effective January 1st of this year, 2021, PFL includes a leave for qualifying exigency. Can you tell us what this means and why this is important? Yeah, because this means that if you have a need to care for a military person, you they use the term qualifying exigency leave all right so anybody who um is your son your daughter anybody who's covered on active duty um for any family reason if you're on active duty and uh and your or your 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 spouse is on active duty and you have to take care of them and you work in a public or a private industry, if they have a qualifying exigency, then you can also qualify for uh, paid family leave. But that doesn't mean you're taking paid family leave. It means you can actually collect money. Oh, okay. Wage replacement. Okay, that's good to know. I assume employers need to, at minimum, get new posters and brochures on this or update their in-house materials? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And where, where can they go to get those? I like, I use employers.org. Okay. Is that, that's, they have, are they, do they cost money? Are they free? How, how do they go about getting those? Um, both you, any, anything that's, uh, if you want sort of the all-in-one posters, you would go to employers.org. Most of these posters, for example, I just downloaded the fact sheet for qualifying exigency leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act. Um, and it comes with a poster. So that's all free. That's good. Okay. Download it for free. But in some ways for HR people and and business owners, it's less um, cumbersome to just order the all-in-one posters. They're done. They're updated. Yeah. 
that's what we usually do. That's just to me, that was the, that's easier, but <laughs> I was just curious. Yeah. Uh, and they run, I think like 30 bucks. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're well worth the money for sure. Right. <laughs> exactly. Instead of going one by one and trying to figure out where, where can I get this one free? Where can I get this one free? And you're taking up three times the space on your wall anyway. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, well, update us on harassment training. You said that there was obviously a de- decrease uh, on that for you guys this year, but the deadline of course was January 1st, 2021. Do you think yeah. most employers met this deadline? And if not, can they still do it? Can you remind us of the basic requirements of this? You know, I really don't think they did. <laughs> and, and I don't know that, um, uh, gosh, I, I don't know that anybody's going to do anything about it unless they get some type of a claim of sexual harassment you know, or some kind of discrimination. I, 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 you know, I, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could predict the future. Yeah. Um, so I we all. See, <laughs> I know, sure. right? I, I think there's going to be an upsurge in the training this year. We've already started to experience a lot of requests for Spanish. So uh, we've got people going out to the facilities and doing live training in Spanish. Um, and of course, they're uh, distribution centers, and they are doing a little bit, you know, they're usually doing one or two classes in Spanish, and then one or two classes in English. And this has just happened in January. Okay, so it's beyond, so it's, it's beyond the deadline anyway. <laughs> it's beyond the deadline. Um, in the cases of the three companies that have called this, they've had issues. So they've had somebody make disparaging um, sexual remarks or some type of a discriminatory um, racist type remarks. So that's, you know, three of these different companies who are having problems and they're going to have to deal with it. Um, As we move, you know, forward into 2021, I think we're going to see a kinder, gentler workplace and that organizations will be more open to anti-harassment training and diversity training. And there's going to be some issues that will occur because of transitioning from one type of a government to another type of a government. So I do think I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, more people will begin to do workplace training and that it will be live. Yeah, that's the hope for all of us, I'm sure. Can you remind us yeah. of the basic requirements for the training? Right. So anybody who has five employees has to do employee training for at least one hour, and they have to do two hours for supervisors. And the training has to be every two years. And there's really certain requirements that have to be included in that training. So you need to talk about the law. You need to talk about best practices. You need to talk about um, what, what unconscious bias is. You need to talk about bystander training. You need to talk about, uh, systemic discrimination, gender. Um, there's so many details involved. It's almost impossible for us to get into a one hour training program. Yeah. (laughs) We do our best. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about OSHA and Cal OSHA COVID-19 regulations effective November 30th, 2020. New rules went into effect. Can you briefly summarize these requirements? 
Well, I think that the bottom line is when I was talking about the illness prevention program, and it, this is required all the way through May right now. And so you're going to go to the Calosha website and download it. And it asks you a series of questions and you answer that series of questions. And one of those things, one of the questions is, what are you doing to prevent or to manage uh, your organization from, you know, spreading the disease? And it talks about, you know, what is an outbreak and what, you know, where, at what point do you have to report? So it's, I recommend that if people haven't done it already, that they go on there. There's also a document called um, Responding to COVID-19 in the Workplace for Employers. Now, this came out in September, so it's not a very old document, but it's really good. And it helps employers, I think, put together what it is that they really are uh, supposed to do. So like notifying the health department. Okay, when do you have to do that? So in my case, when I got my, when one of my employees got it, you have to have at least three people. Um, so it says require all employers to notify local health departments when they meet the reporting threshold of three or more cases. So that meant that we did not have to mm -hmm. report it. That actually um, is very good, by the way. I actually downloaded that myself back uh, last fall. So that was really actually very good. I, 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 awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I recommend everybody get their hands on this. And then it also has links to everything else. It has been my go-to document. So when, even when my clients call. Yeah. That's, that's, I thought it was great. I sent that out actually to all my clients too, because I said, you know, this, I tried to keep them as up to date as I could uh, with all the COVID stuff. So that was just one of the many things. And we did include that. I updated our COVID-19 guide and made sure to include that link to that so that they could go there because I thought that was really helpful. Okay. So let's talk about work comp for just a second. Here in California, we have SB 1159, which is a COVID-19 workers' compensation law. Can you walk us through briefly what, what's included in SB 1159? Well, I think basically with 1159, it simply clarified that if an employee gets COVID at work, it is a workers' compensation claim. Right. Okay. So it's really nothing new. It's just kind of clarifying what, what they need to do if that happens and that they need to classify it as work comp. Right. Okay. So let's talk about SB 1383, California Family Rights Act. I know we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, but it was also effective on January 1st, 2021, and it affects employers with five or more employees. Can you briefly walk us through those requirements? CFRA now is a big game changer. So small employers, it used to be 50 employees and it aligned with FIMLA. Um, now a small employer who has five employees has to offer um, California Family Rights Act for leave. Now, everything's basically still the same as far as you still have to have worked there for a year um, you, or 1,250 hours. So it's not like an instant type of thing. One of the big things that CIFRA did was that it uh, repealed the new parent leave law. Are you familiar? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we had for a while, maybe a year, I don't even know if it was a whole year, we had this new parent leave act, which gave rights to um, people who, you know, wanted to take leave uh, for their kids to smaller companies. 
So once CIFRA passed, there was no need to have that law. So that law was repealed, and then CIFRA came in and took over. Okay, so lastly, we had some minimum wage requirements increased on January 1st. Uh, would you like to comment a little bit on that? Well, luckily, this is something that we've known is coming, and hopefully everybody prepared for it. Um, it will continue to go on. Uh, I, one thing I, I don't know that a lot of people know is that there is a difference between what the minimum wage is for a small employer and what the minimum wage is for a large employer. Enlighten us, please. Okay, so if you are a small employer, and let me define small employer. Uh, that would be anybody who has fewer than 25 employees, okay? Their rate is not going up at the same level as the rates are for larger employers. So come January 1, 2021 this year, the minimum pay is up to $14 an hour, hour, and you know it's going to be going up to 15 the following year. So if you have 26 or more employees, minimum wage is now $14 an hour. If you have less than that, it's still $13 an hour. Okay. 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 Thank you. Well, I know there's a lot of new laws here in California and employers are kind of going crazy in 2021. We don't have time to get into them all today. Uh, but I do want to ask you one final question. If people need help with training, with certifications, with HR consulting or any of this stuff, how can they reach you? They can go to trainmetoday.com or they can email us at info at trainmetoday.com or they can give us a call at 714-269-9925. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks, Jackie. I really appreciate all the information you shared with us today. Thank you for including me in your podcast. It's always a pleasure, Dorothy. Thanks, Jackie. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. To everybody out there, stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835. Or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.